0: A podcast one production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringoudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. In this episode of The Wellness Collective, we're talking about self-love. Well, we are. We've done this before, right? We have, but this is a bit different because the person that we have joining us today has... So many elements of things to bring together. Yes, that I think we are going to be here for quite a while. Well, what do you think of when you think of self-love, Cecilia? Well, uh, you know, a few years ago, I probably would have just laughed at you, but now I think it's. <laughs> I think it's about making time for you to do the things that make you feel good, like a bath, like a bath, yeah. like having a chocolate while you watch Netflix at night, if that and makes not feeling happy. guilty for it. Don't feel bad yeah. about. You know, if you're in a rush, stopping and having lunch by yourself. Oh, I love having
1: lunch by myself. Mm, It's good, isn't (laughs) it? I actually like doing lots of things by myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting worse and worse. (laughs) Um, But our guest today is a good friend of mine and we will let her introduce herself. So please reveal yourself.
2: Hey guys, my name is Kim Morrison and it is an absolute pleasure to be here with you two darlings today. So yes, I love the topic of self-love.
1: We know you love it, but I have to say, you know, I think a lot of people kind of just cringe and roll their eyes when we talk about self-love. They're like, oh my goodness, everybody's talking about it, everyone's told they need to do it, but I feel pressure because I don't really know if I'm doing it right. And so let's talk about that a little bit because, I mean... It does get thrown around like confetti. And I think that if we were doing it well, we wouldn't
2: still be talking about it. If you think about it, if you go back to school, if someone said when you were growing up, particularly after the age of eight, we all thought we were pretty amazing up until around then, until someone said, you know, oh, she loves herself or he loves himself. And it was seen as such a negative thing based on ego rather than somebody who confidently believed in who they are. So I think it's really been hardwired into us, which is why now as adults, we constantly need this understanding around what it means. And I think for a lot of people, particularly once they become parents, that they start to see their children and they can't understand why a child would never see how beautiful they are. So often our children are a reflection and a reminder of the fact that actually we are loving, beautiful creatures that deserve to love and be loved. Well, we crave it, don't we?
1: Like it's yeah. just part of what we need. Oh, affection to, is the yeah, best. Right? In, and we all have different forms of it that we love, you know, mm. or different things that resonate with us. So you know, some people don't like to be touched. I know. Other people I love, love those people though. That they get awkward, they'll be like, oh, yeah, uh,
0: yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and especially if you are an affectionate person, you get one of them on your radar, and it's just you know an endless supply of fun, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's called torture, Cecilia. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But these poor people that don't like that. So, I mean, we're in a world. We live in a world where it's all about fear. It's all feeding the fears, and it's mm. you know, you're not doing this right, and you're not and doing guilt. that right. And so, what do we, you know, how do we start to break this? What What do we do?
2: Well, I think this is a big million-dollar question because we know, as you said at the beginning, we're meant to love ourselves and we can't supposedly love another person properly until we love ourselves. And we all can make sense of that. But I guess for me over the last, 10 years, I've just been with all my talks and presentations in the wellness arena, I've just noticed that there are, and I'm going to ask you to, you know, is there any time or anyone that you know in your life that has not fallen out of love with themselves, questioned themselves, doubted themselves, felt guilty about what they're doing, had Mack trucks hit them perhaps had tragedy, loss, grief, sorrow. Like seriously, I doubt and I challenge anybody to say that they've met anybody that hasn't endured this. And therefore my questioning over all of this was then if that's the case, then perhaps instead of fighting it, perhaps it's time that we started realising that struggle and agony and fear and all of those things, even self-hate, is in fact part of self-love. And instead of going against it or berating ourselves for being in that space, wouldn't it be wonderful for us to recognise that we're in a space and with the ebb and flow of life, the rhythms of life, that perhaps we're just in a low spot, We've got to remember that in order to understand love, we must feel hate. In order to understand light, we must appreciate dark. In order to understand feeling high, we must understand what it's like to feel low. Otherwise, there's no barometer. So I guess for me, there's always the two sides, the two elements. You could call it a dichotomy of life. Why should we? How come? But in fact, I think you'll both agree with me, it's through the struggles and the fears in life that if we're open to the curiosity of where, why and how we got there or what we can do to simply get through those times in a really powerful, courageous way, then wouldn't it be great to know that this is part of the human experience and that we can be broken open and we can in fact explore and experience life in a far greater way when we are open to the fact that this is part of life.
0: I wonder we seem to have a modern malaise of anxiety and depression too I think and stress well, and I was talking to my mum about this yesterday and I was saying that to her, she said it feels like everybody has a level of anxiety but us humans we've been around a long time yeah. so how do we deal with it in the past? Is it one of those things that maybe we knew this stuff and now that we have the capacity to analyse what we do a bit more we're sort of I don't know, it's an interesting one, isn't it? But you're totally right about having, you've got to have the two sides for it all to make I, sense. I think
1: also, and I'd love to hear what Kim thinks about this, but, I mean, we. I've read certain things that have definitely resonated, suggesting that our expectations are so high on ourselves that we just feel like we never get there. And because everything's so fast-paced, we kind of get there and forget we've gotten there and we keep on moving to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And that does set us up to feel, well, like we're in a rush to get everywhere, that everything has to be done now. It causes great anxiety. Um, But also this, you know, like, I just love this take on self-love because it's often the whole... Bunny, bunny lambs, bunny lambs. What am I trying to say? Bunny rabbits and <laughs> and and lambs. You know, like through a with a halo through a forest. You know, yeah. and it's not. And I really am so relieved. You know, we're talking about. You know, you have to have the lows to have the highs. But I think we're not taught how to deal with the lows, and therefore we get stuck in the lows, and we can stu- get stuck in there because we don't recognise that actually it,
2: it, it, there's always more, and it's going to be okay. Mm. And I think we're afraid to hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, none of us have actually, like if you think about it in time gone by, we would have had to have sucked it up and got on with life and perhaps there wasn't so many choices, you know, oh, I'll leave him or I'll leave her or stuff if like, I'm quitting my job or like in a way we almost had had made our beds and laid in it in time gone by or there wasn't the capacity or people that did quit or change things very quickly were almost frowned upon. So I think we had more time to process things and in a world now where social media is, So in our faith, which I absolutely love. I think the downside to it is that we can, you know, it's a highlights reel of people's lives. And when we look at that, when we're in a low place, it can catapult us into feeling even worse about ourselves because it looks like everyone else is doing so great. So, yes, I agree with you. I think we're talking about it more, but I think what's happening now is that we are not feeling the pain. We're avoiding it through drugs, alcohol, um, perhaps one-night stands. We're looking at it in, in ways of trying to take agony away from us, even in food, um, and the body is screaming at us with many signs, which you girls talk about all the time. The body is constantly talking to us with pains and issues and fertility and all of the different autoimmune conditions and everything. So to me, it's really about my therapist said to us when we were going through a really challenging time in our so-called perfect marriage that she said, you know, you've got to stop and feel it to heal it. And I've never forgotten that, that, and in fact she said, the more you focus on feeling it to get through it, you will not only go through something, you will grow through something. We cannot avoid the pains and trust me, if we do, if we bury them under a carpet or if we drink our ways or eat our ways out of that pain, we have not addressed it in such a way and I can assure you the universe will keep rearing its ugly head to you until you listen or get a Mack truck hit you and you're lying on your bathroom floor and you cannot breathe and I say that with absolute heart, love and affection because many of us have had things repeated throughout our life until we are literally brought to our knees for us to take the time to deal with it. So I I love that simple analogy, you've got to feel it to heal it.
0: Mm. So true though, right? We don't. I think what you're saying is exactly right, that being brave enough to acknowledge what's happening. I think for so many of us, we can be in a situation that we're not happy with, but acknowledging what's wrong and talking to the people around us to say, okay, we need to fix this or
1: I need well, to fix Well, that's, I think, this. the missing piece also in, in what you were saying before is that we do try and suffer in silence and go it alone and we don't talk about it and we certainly don't rally together as a you know, small community of whoever that might be, your peeps, whoever they are, mm. um, because there's this shame around it that it's, you know, it's got to be perfect all of the time. And I think that's definitely the generation before, that's my mum's generation, definitely. Mm. It's all very, you know, the facade is it's perfect. It's all good. But Don't it's so it. interesting,
0: isn't it, that the facade is exactly that? Because mm. as you say, Kim, you scratch the surface with everybody and everybody has been through something. Mm. I can remember I had a... A panic attack years ago. It was the first time I'd actually had it. And it was a horrible, horrible experience. And I was at work and I came in and I said, oh, look, I just needed a couple of days off to, you know, feel better. And my boss at the time actually turned around and said, oh, I've had a panic attack. It was horrible. Now he and I would never have spoken about yeah, something like that ever that. previously. But in that moment, like the humanity for both of us was that we were like shared experience. That was really horrible but it will be okay. Mm.
2: And yes. yeah, it was excellent. excellent. And and I think that beautiful exposure of our vulnerabilities fast tracks again from the, hi, how are you, have a great day, into I see you, I hear you, I want to be here for you. And we can't solve other people's problems and we certainly shouldn't take on other people's problems. But what a beautiful gift to humanity when you can sit beside somebody and say, I get you, I I know that feeling. And I think that to me has been a, a missing piece for so long and probably one of the main motivators of this book. I had someone ask me, um, just recently, why did you write The Art of Self-Love? And my answer was, if I can have one person communicate with another with a more open, vulnerable heart, my work is done. If I can take it to another level, because I myself have experienced suicide in our family, that for someone to get to that level, if this book or these conversations or our extending beyond the Are You OK? could in fact help someone not Um, see that that is the only way out and I think more than anything my wish is for all of us to build touchstones, have tools and a repertoire of beautiful things our go-to that can become um, something that will help us get through these times as opposed to trying to avoid them or ignoring them altogether. Can I talk about that
0: Are You Okay Day? with you for a moment if you're not familiar with it it's a a thing that's been established in Australia where on this day everyone is encouraged to reach out to the people around them that perhaps might not be in a great headspace Um, but what do you do if you have a friend who is is you feel is in that situation and you ask if they're okay and they say yeah I'm okay I'm fine
2: you, just, you mean if they're not okay? If they're, they're not okay, they're okay but they yeah. say
1: they're okay. Like it's such well, a difficult thing, though. you know. This happened to me a lot long ago. Mum my, my and Dad rang me. Mm. And they're like, how you doing, mate? They're both on the speak, loudspeaker. They love to do that. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And Dad goes, how are you really doing? And I'm like,
0: I'm not okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so sometimes it is actually asking the question maybe three times. Mm. and or, And then, you know, Putting your hand on their shoulder and saying, you know, that if you're not okay, then I'm here. But mm. I love, I saw something that Sarah Wilson short uh, shared a little while ago and it was ask your strongest friend if they're actually okay. Mm. Mm. And, you know, they're the people that are often, um, they're left behind or they're not considered. Because mm, everyone thinks they're okay. Correct. And so the so, question isn't asked. That's right. So I think it's a matter of asking, hey, how are you really doing?
0: I know, but I think it can be quite difficult if you've got somebody who is in a place where they're they're clearly not okay mm. and as you say you can't you can't control what other people do you can only be there to say i understand mm. if they are not willing to sort of take themselves out of themselves
2: it's it can be quite challenging and it's a discipline, you know, it is a really tough discipline to take care of yourself, to love yourself, to stay in love with yourself. It doesn't just happen, it takes a lot of work, a lot of investment and certainly a lot of commitment to oneself and sadly most people leave themselves or they expect someone else to make them feel better or something else to to top their emotional tank and I think that's something that I'd really love to see more and that we teach our children more is that Self-love, love Love itself is an inside job and it's a self-disciplined action that we need to do and to build on constantly every day. And I believe the power and the pathway to that is through self-care. And if we can really care for ourselves, especially on the days that we don't feel great, then we will have the courage to say to somebody, I'm actually not okay, but but I'll get through this. Because ultimately, I want to put this to you both, if you do ask somebody, are you okay? And they turn and they go, no, not really. And then they go into this whole world that might sound very negative and down and quite depressing and and very heavy. Most of us have our own things to deal with so much in our lives that hearing that is almost, that just adds another thing to your own um, schedule. So to me, it's, Yes, it's about being there, but you can only be there for someone else in a really strong capacity when you yourself are feeling great. Otherwise, it's just another thing Mm. in your world. And ultimately, we all are only really, and I say this with hand on heart, we are really only interested in our own selves, our own lives. And that's not to say that women like you guys and me don't care about other people, but ultimately everything is evolving around who we are, what we are and what we're trying to be or become. So I think it's a really big challenge and that's why I think it is a discipline to love oneself, it is a discipline to take care of oneself, it's a discipline to ride through a disease or an illness or a monetary or a relationship issue. It doesn't just happen and you two are incredibly beautiful, intelligent, amazing, caring women who have so much to give and share But I know that that doesn't happen by sitting on your couch every night watching TV. That happens because there's a lot of investment into your own selves and your own self-worth. And that's why women like me look up to you and actually consider you trailblazers but what we love most, particularly when I watch your Instagram feeds and things like that, when you are so raw and real about the sucky days or the things that aren't going great, <laughs> it makes you human and it makes us approachable and adaptable and also incredibly uh, vulnerable, which makes us all feel connected. And I think that's something you both offer in an incredibly beautiful way. Oh, you can stay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it hand on heart, that's why I love following you girls because you're so real, funny. it's not a highlight package all the time. Heck I no. Think, oh, yeah. no. I,
1: I just think it's so much fun. Mm. Um, and look, there are sucky days, of course, and they're not fun. Um, but it, this is part of this whole piece of talking about it and mm. being real and not pretending <laughs> that it's all fine when it's not fine. But also when you yeah. bottle something up, as soon as you talk about it,
0: once you've said it a few times, it's oh, not yeah. important anymore and you can leave it behind. If you walk around holding on to that thing that's really eating you up, then it's just going to continue. I, well, that's how I feel anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Hey, we're just going to take a quick break, but we're going to come back in just a sec and um, we've got way more to talk yes, to you is. about, Kim, so don't go
1: anywhere. <laughs> We are talking in this episode with the beautiful Kim Morrison all about loving ourselves and accepting who we are, but also accepting the bad parts. <laughs> That's not the right word. The bits that we don't like, the, the down times and how that actually makes us better humans and, and allows us to love ourselves even more. I wanted to really dive into this idea in the book you talk, in your new book, um, you talk about guilt and you talk about two types of guilt. Um, let's talk about, or maybe you can introduce the, the idea of this to um, the people listening. What are they and, and why is it important to know the difference?
2: Well, we we can carry guilt in different ways. Psychologists say there's rational and irrational. So rational is something that goes against your own values or your own wishes and desires. You know it's it's about you and what you believe is right and wrong, um, but the guilt comes out of your own personal values, whereas a rational guilt can actually be conditioned through your own childhood upbringings, belief systems, or people that have been in your life, and therefore it's determined on what was going to work for you as a child, not necessarily what's going to work for you now. Um, and I think as, as sometimes as we become adults, it becomes incredibly um, hard for us because a lot of that irrational guilt feels out of control and we don't even understand it because it's been carried with us since childhood. So yes, guilt is, it's not a bad thing, guilt. Like when you've done something that you know you've hurt somebody or you've done something and you know you shouldn't have, that's a pretty good, strong, rational guilt. It's against your own values. You've mucked up, own it, apologize and that is that that hopefully that, that guilt will be eased as you clean up your mess as you go so i think that guilt is not a bad thing it's a good barometer for us all when perhaps we stuff up or we don't do things according to what we like i don't know maybe and i don't understand catholicism at all you know they say that from what i've heard that if you do things wrong you could go to hell um, and there could be a whole lot of irrational guilt that you carry if you feel you've done something wrong, which is based on someone else's beliefs and principles. That's not so good because it's now no longer a rational guilt. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So there's the difference. Insidious I, guilt. Uh, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. And I think guilt is a really good thing if we can clean it up or if we can make sure that we own it. That That's the main thing there. It's, it's not a wasted emotion guilt. It's a very good one to keep us, I guess in a way, good human being. Mm, I agree with that.
1: Kim, not only are you, you have all this amazing knowledge and life experience, and I love your story, and we haven't really dug into that, but no. you are a mum as well. And I think this is a particularly interesting time to be nurturing and supporting teenagers. Um in my research of writing my last book, um I learned that this generation of teenagers are the smartest, the most respectful, the less to get in trouble. They are basically ten times better than what we ever were. Um, they're they're more educated, yet we, some for some reason feel the need to constantly be telling them otherwise oh this current generation oh they're this oh they're that and I think it just feeds feeds you know something that we don't actually want them to you know to be but I would love to know a little bit more around how you think that we can have this opportunity to really support young well I always say women but young people um in this piece of self-love how can what's the best thing that we can do for them
2: I can share with you why it was because of my 16-year-old son that I actually ended up writing this book. And when I shared with him my, what I call the self-love circle, the how-to, when I, when I finished, he looked at me, this broken young man who was on the verge of being kicked out of school. He was struggling with friendships um, you know, had been caught doing just silly things like going up the road to buy a subway when he sh- and didn't get permission for leaving school. Um, you know, silly things that boys do. So I sat there on one hand wanting to kill my son um, <laughs> and to throttle him and to tell him all the things that I thought and that I knew it was gonna get to this point. And on the other hand, I sat there and stroked his head like like he was when he was a little boy crying. And I just said to him, Jacob, this is not the the whole story of Jacob Morrison. This is just a part of the the tales and and trials and tribulations of a young man who's just fallen out of love with himself. And if you'd like, I could show you how I can help you to fall back in love. And he just looked at me and said, yeah. So I drew a big heart on a big piece of paper and in the middle of it, I wrote self-love. And then I drew a big arrow coming out of it down, to, you know, going self and put self-sabotage and fear and I said Jake at the moment you've just fallen out of the circle of self love and we, and we all fall out of it and when we fall out of it you know you're out of it because you don't feel great you might be carrying feelings of shame or guilt or resentment you might not be liking yourself, you might be all of these things, saying horrible things, being mean to other people, um, swearing at teachers, all the things that you've been doing are because you've in fact fallen out of, you're in the opposite of love and that could be hate or seen as fear and I said that do you want me to show you how to get back in it? And he just looked at me and up to the top right hand of of the heart, I drew the word self-awareness. And I said, when you become aware that you've fallen out of the circle of self-love, you're automatically back in it. So you're aware that you're feeling like crap. You're aware that you've been made you've made mistakes. You're aware that you've hurt people. You're aware that you've sworn at teachers. You're aware that you've um, wagged school one day, and you're aware that you've been a bit of a rat bag. And he looked at me and he goes, Yeah. And I said, Well, already you've got awareness around it so you're back in the circle because the next step is self care and what I'm going to encourage you do for the next 28 days is to do nice things for yourself. Run yourself a bath and use Epsom salts and essential oils. Go for runs on the beach. Make sure that you um, eat, you know, a good amount of greens each day. Um, I'm going to invite you not to say horrible things for the next 28 days and I've always said 28 days in order to create the new neurological patterns in our brain and you've got to do it every day. I said to him, you're not allowed to swear at a teacher or anybody for the next 28 days. And your discipline around that is if someone pushes your buttons, your line from this moment on will be, that's interesting. Not with sarcasm. Just that's interesting because it's interesting that someone else has another perspective. And I said, but Jacob, the next step in this pathway is self-discipline. You now have to do this for the next 28 days. Do, can you stick to this? Can you promise me? And if you miss a day or stuff up, you just got to start again. Are you willing to try this? And he looked at me and I half expected him to say, no, I can't be bothered. He just said, "I'll, I'll do anything. So I think sometimes we have to be really broken too in order to try on something new. So don't ever look at your teenagers and see them broken as the end of the world. Look at it with curiosity and an opportunity to give them when they've got the space to hear it. And sometimes it's only when a teenager is really broken that they're willing to hear what a parent has to offer because up until that point, we're probably seen as losers or we know nothing or we've got no intelligence. So I say those first three steps, self-awareness, self-care and self-discipline are what I call the doing in the pathway back to self-love and if you can stick to those doings with discipline for 28 days the second half of the circle flows with ease and the next part is of course when you've applied discipline to self-care and self-worth then we know we have better self-control and with more self-control comes self-respect and I asked my 20-year-old daughter what does someone with self-respect look like to you? And I loved her answer. She looked at me and she said, Some, someone with self-respect doesn't put other people down. They tend to take pride in how they look. I'm not saying, she said that they have to wear the best clothes or anything but they, they care about how they look. Um, she said they don't um, have to gossip behind other people's backs and they certainly have respect for themselves, each other and the planet. Therefore, they tend to eat better and show up in the world a better person. She goes, That's what I think of someone with self-respect. And I just looked at her quite dumbfounded and thought she nailed it. (laughs) And then I said to Jacob, and when we have self-respect... We then have self-acceptance and Jacob that means accepting ourselves mistakes and all warts and all the great and the not so great the imperfections of who we are because let's face it i'm not asking you as a parent to be perfect i'm not asking you to do everything right in fact if anything i'm really glad this has happened because in a way your ego was becoming such a part of you you were so fearful of not being liked by everybody that you were doing things to be liked would that be fair And he had tears rolling down his face and he said, yeah, mum, that's true. And I said, so can you see now if we do the work on ourselves in the first part of the circle, the self-awareness, self-care and self-discipline, then we have better self-control, more self-respect and certainly self-acceptance. And we take ownership, accountability and responsibility for those imperfections or mistakes. And that is a person that we all love to look to because they can go, yeah, I stuffed up. I saw you just recently, Matt apologize publicly to your audience and we loved you even more for that. (laughs) Um, And I think that that to me ultimately is the six-step pathway to self-love and... I figured if a 16-year-old boy was interested, then the rest of the world would want to hear it too.
0: I'm glad you used your son as the example because I have a son and I might say that I find him baffling on so many (laughs) levels.
2: (laughs) One of the greatest lines we can give to our children, and I did share this in the book, is, you know what? Jacob, I've never been the mother of a 16-year-old boy. I've never known what it's like to be a 16-year-old boy. Or I've looked at Taylor and said, I've never been the mum of a 16-year-old girl and I've never known how to experience life the way you have because it's incredibly different to my life. So sometimes I'm going to stuff up. But guess what? You've never been the daughter of a mum like me um, at 16. You've never been 16 before. You've never been 17 before. So do you think it's fair to assume that we're both going to kind of make mistakes (laughs) along this craggy (laughs) road and sometimes we're not going to always get it right? So if we can just stay in the space of when we don't get it right and we frustrate each other, let's all agree to go and give ourselves some space but there is no way anyone is allowed in our house to go to bed without confronting, confronting or discussing our champion and challenge moment in the evening. And I think that's been a really good winner and a game changer for us as a family, and particularly when we go through big things. There's a lot, isn't it? But it's great because I know
1: you just shine a light on these things in a way that I might not have looked at them before. So I, I'm mm. really grateful for that. Sidestep slightly, you just touched on essential oils, and I know that's something else that you're really passionate about. Mm. Um I want to know. I'm just is thinking. it ooga booga or
2: is it real? <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. You know, it's, From a scientific point of view, essential oils, I think, are relatively new, and that is where there's question, because there's not, if you go through all the research and data, yes, there's a lot of information out there, and there's some amazing papers researching certain chemical components of an essential oil or extracts of the essential oil, and there's some great papers um, definitely talking about the powers and the beautiful things like the antiseptic and antibacterial qualities of essential oils. But in science terms, I still believe it's incredibly, relatively new. So I don't think we can stand here and say, hey, this is 100% scientifically validated, proven, and we've got your back on this. I personally believe as an aromatherapist of nearly 30 years that we still have a lot to learn in the field of science behind the validity of essential oils. Now, if you go back into the anecdotal evidence and our forefathers and mothers, there's 4,000 years of history (laughs) and beautiful um, stories and incredible um, proof around how potent and complex and powerful these substances are. My only concern today in this day and age, there's there's, again the dichotomy, the high and the low, the high of having the most incredible, it's the most widely spoken subject at the moment because of all these wonderful multi-level marketing companies and 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 excited enthusiasts and people absolutely cheering on the power and, and, and viability of essential oils. I guess the downside for me as a therapist who studied for years and has given her life and dedicated her life to this is when I see someone who's signed up for something for, I don't know, 90 bucks, 100 bucks, then telling someone that they could put drops of these oils under their tongue or that they should be putting them into water and taking them every day. I kind of go, you know what, we're, we're dabbling in something that we do not understand. There is so much science now around the gut microbiome, the bacteria. We know that essential oils, all essential oils are very highly antiseptic and antibacterial. And what is the gut microbiome made up of? A uh, zillion bacteria. We have no idea. And there's no scientific research on the accumulation effect or, in fact, even the dosage and what's right that's going to upset or not affect the gut microbiome. And I'm not willing to take that chance on something so beautiful like essential oils and something so powerful about what we're learning in the last five to ten years around the gut microbiome. And as you both allude to often, it is the bacteria in our gut that tends to be now seen as what's driving our hormones our immune system, even our brain. So I'm just a little cautious. I'm not saying that these enthusiasts shouldn't be out there or that multi marketing companies shouldn't be there. No, I, I love the fact that we're all sharing in the same space. But in my heart of all hearts, be mindful, be careful. Um, herbs, I know that you would not tell me that to go and take a whole lot of herbs willy-nilly just because I'd read it on mm. the internet. Um, please just respect essential oils. They are a medicine. They are something that has been used for many thousands of years, but they are highly, highly concentrated substances. So be mindful. And, you know, if it comes to having three drops of lemon water, drops of lemon essential oil and water, whatever happened to squeezing half a lemon in the juice and drinking that and then using the oil as a spritzer or in a body massage blend or in a diffuser, that's the way they were intended to be used. (laughs) <laughs>
1: it's a good conversation. I think it's a really important conversation because it, it, it's a hot it's a hot topic well, and yeah. Kim
0: I'm just going to I'm going to take a stand here. Can we have you back to talk about <laughs> essential oils for a whole podcast? Because mm-hmm. I actually went into a health food store the other day and I said to the lady I was like, "So, I'm still a little skeptical about, you know, the diffuser. If I put that on, yes, my my room's going to smell nice, but is it actually going to do these five things it says on the box?" And she said to me, well, you don't go for a synthetic one. And I said, well, <laughs> no brainer. I know. I <laughs> figured that. that. Bit, but she couldn't tell me. Mm. And I think, um, like you say, you've got 30 years' worth of knowledge on it and I think it would be really good to dig into. Well, there you go.
2: We'll get you back, yeah. yeah, yeah, so you have to come back. There we go. Oh, look, it would be my privilege. I, I, I just want – I love to educate people on it. And more than that – there is a science to it. But let's not forget our beautiful, intuitive powers around, particularly women, our power of smell, because smell is so closely linked to our emotions. So mm. I would love to go down the rabbit hole with you on this and Let's do that. And, do it. and how to well, we'll,
1: we'll arrange that. Okay, good. There. We could talk forever. I know. We need to this have the best episodes on all of these. Longest podcast. Kim, where can people find you and your new book?
2: Oh, the book, The Art of Self Love, is available at my business, 28.com, the word 20 and the number 8.com. And of course, I'm an absolute Instagram lover, Kim Morrison28. That's just Kim Morrison and then the number 28. And I have 20.8.essential on Instagram. And I have a Kim Morrison Facebook page too.
1: Amazing. Well, we will get you back. So don't go too far. Not too far away. Um, But thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today.
2: Oh, thank you. And truly, thank you for the work you do. I refer so many people to you guys oh, and what you're doing for women and understanding all of these things that we seem to be confronted with in this day and age from a personal, spiritual, mental and emotional and physical level. You guys are trailblazing. So I, I, I just want to say thank you too. Thank you for that. I've
0: got goosebumps now. Oh, thank you for being <laughs> part of it. There you go. I think that's a five-star rating for that's you, That's a five-star Nat. rating. <laughs> She's happy now.